Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Inventing Anna, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome to Inventing Anna, the official podcast, your exclusive look inside the making of the Shondaland series on Netflix. I'm your host, Stacey Wilson-Hunt, and today I'm chatting with actor Katie Lowes, who plays Rachel Williams in the series. Katie's not only a Shondaland regular, having played Quinn Perkins for seven seasons on Scandal, she also has her own Shondaland podcast, Katie's Crib. Katie has endless juicy stories about making and inventing Anna, including shooting the show while she was pregnant, coping with the pandemic, and traveling to Morocco to film the now infamous credit card fiasco episode. Welcome, Katie. How are you today? Hi! I'm really good. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Yes. And top line question I had for you was, to me, this is the sort of consummate New York story. You're a native New Yorker. How much of the show spoke to you as being that sort of only in New York kind of saga? Absolutely. It's such a New York story. I was actually thrilled when I found out New York is one of those places where you fake it till you make it. And I went to college in New York and I can remember the first parties I ever slipped through the back door to get into, you know, through like, oh, there's this girl on our in our dorm who's a model and dating this like 55 <laughs> year old rich guy. And of, course, of course, you can go with her. But like really seeing New York money old money that like East Coast, you are a trust fund baby or you've inherited lots and you're not welcome at the club unless you have all of that at your disposal. And just feeling like such an outsider and feeling those vibes that are so part of the Anna Delvey world and so part of the Anna Delvey story. Um, it's definitely not the New York that I know when my mother talks like this and I'm from Staten Island. That's the other key to this is like shooting in New York. All of the transpo guys and grips were from Ozone Park, Queens, which is where I grew up. And right. they would talk to me and like drop me off on set. And I'm like, I cannot be talking like this. This is not how Rachel Deloach Williams talks. That is true. You were straddling two worlds is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. And speaking, of course, of New York and journalism, you know, the show would not exist without Jessica Pressler's incredible reporting on Anna Delvey, which was first published in May of 2018. Mm-hmm. How familiar were you with that article when it came out in New York Magazine in the cut? I was not aware of the article. I was in. I was aware of the story after the fact. Again, I think as a native New Yorker, there was this sort of folklore legend story that kind of reached all of us about this chick who told everyone that she, you know, was a German heiress and conned people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars, like huge real estate people in New York and private planes, and she's going to jail. And I remember all the mumblings of that from friends of mine that still live in New York. And then it wasn't until I was at a scandal table read and it became public knowledge either on deadline or something that Shonda was making the move from ABC to Netflix. Right. And then it came out shortly after that the first story was this article. And I remember racing home, <laughs> looking it up and being like, please, God, is there a part for me in this world? Because if I could be a waitress or a babysitter or like whatever, if she'll give me a part, I would like to play in it. And I remember getting home and reading the article and be like, oh, my God. There will be women in this world that I could maybe play. Right. So that was really my first intro to the Jess Pressler article. Completely selfish. Of course. Well, <laughs> come on. You're an actor. Basically, my first intro was, is there a part for me? <laughs> hey, you know what? That's just the Anna Delvey hustle that you have going on there. Come on. That's it. <laughs> so, of course, fans know you from all your incredible work, Private Practice, Grey's Anatomy, and, of course, mm-hmm. Scandal, which you just mm-hmm. mentioned. You're part of the Shondaland family, but you still have to kind of go through a process to get cast. Shonda's not just texting you saying, hey, are you free on this day to start shooting? So tell me a little bit about getting in the door to play Rachel for Inventing Anna. So I got private practice, and that was my first introduction into the Shondaland world. And Linda Lowy, who cast at the time all of Shonda's shows, was married to Jeff Perry. Jeff Perry was my acting teacher at Steppenwolf. So Linda had been watching me and so wonderfully had constantly been calling me in to Shonda. That's great. And I knew that at some point maybe something would line up that would be a good fit. And the year before Scandal— Shonda had a show called Off the Map. Oh, I remember. Which was essentially mm-hmm. a Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doctors Without Borders sort of show. And I I went in for every single female doctor. There were a lot of female doctors on that show. It mm-hmm. was a week where I came in for Shonda and I nailed it. And they said, yeah, but uh, can you come in tomorrow and read this doctor? And I ran home and I re- memorized all those lines. And I came in, didn't get that one. And then the next day they asked me for the next one. And I was like, wow, I feel connected to her. Like she's trying to find what might be a fit? Turns out it was none of those. I got (laughs) fired from that babysitting job because I kept just not showing up to run back to these callbacks. I was broke. And the next year, Scandal was my first audition back. And I remember reading the sides and it was Quinn Perkins. And my middle name is Quinn. And I was like, it's a side. That is meant to be. (laughs) And I went and auditioned for Shonda again. The next week, they called me back in. and I thought it was a callback. And she said, I've already shown your first audition tape to the studio network and they've approved you and I'm giving you the job. And I sobbed and thanked her and asked everyone if I could hug them. (laughs) And it changed my life. And for inventing Anna, when Scandal was ending and I had ran home to read the Jess Pressler article and I thought there might be something for me, I just had a really honest conversation because – 
other people were sort of sniffing around that I was available. Right. That's a good feeling, though, that people were sniffing around. Yeah, people right? were sniffing. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean anything until there's anything signed on the dotted line. But some people were sniffing around. And I remember, I don't know if I called Shonda or I texted her and I just said, hey, like, people are sniffing around, but I want to be with you till the end of time. <laughs> and shamelessly, like, is there anything for me in this show? And she was like... I really think there is. And I was oh, like, oh, my gosh. Call off the hounds. The The <laughs> sniffing ends here. I'm just going to sit around and see because I've had the pleasure of working in Shondaland for eight years, and I am not curious about anywhere else <laughs> so much. <laughs> it's a magical place where dreams come true, right? Why would you go anywhere else? That's right. And so she called me months later and said, you're going to play Rachel. Wow. Literally. I did not audition. She said, you're going to play Rachel. And you know what's weird? I kind of knew. I just felt like of all the characters in the world that Rachel could be Mm -hmm. a fit. And so when she called and told me, it was sort of like the puzzle piece fitting together. And of course, I was like, (sighs) very emotional again, just feeling very honored and grateful and shocked that she continuously employs me. Well, you are very talented, Katie. This isn't just a fluke. <laughs> I am, yes, thank you. But I, you know, I have a lot of talented friends. You know, I run a theater company in LA called I Am a Theater Company that Shonda comes to all of our shows. And I have a lot of, you know, wonderful actors. And and I do think also that Shonda and I just sort of line up. I don't know if it's the way her dialogue is and the way that I speak. There is this sort of Shonda speak and Shonda Mm -hmm. dialogue that for whatever reason just makes a lot of sense in my brain and in my heart and comes out like I can memorize her words in like one second. Well, there's a real rhythm to it. Uh Uh-huh. It's like such a fit for me. You know, what's cool about Shonda and her being such a theater fan, I think that she likes to collect like the ensemble vibe. So it's not coincidence to me that Jeff Perry she keeps around or Kate Burton, Paul Adelstein. Like, there are actors who are very theatery actors. She carries us around to shows because I think not only I think do we deliver and we bring good vibes, but like we bring good vibes to the table reads. We bring the Shondaland sauce to the set, to the crew. You know, in England, they let actors play different parts all the time. That's what they like to see. But for some reason here... Other than her and, like, Ryan Murphy, a lot of people don't like to carry around actors. And I'm so relieved that when she globs on to someone or thinks that they're good and wants to keep them around, she does. Yeah. She's a good friend to have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to talk about your creation of Rachel, who, of course, is based on a real person. Mm -hmm. And yet you still have the task of creating something new for the screen. So tell me when you... You find out day one you're playing this person. What was the first thing you did? What did you read? Did you have access to the role, Rachel Williams? Yes. So I have never played a real person before, and I definitely have not played a real living person before. It's an added pressure, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely feels like an added pressure. That's a perfect way to phrase it. But at the same time, I felt like I wasn't playing Jackie O. (laughs) Well, she's not a public figure in the same sense. No, she's not a person that anyone knows. And I purposefully chose not to read her book. I didn't have the opportunity to meet her and, frankly, really didn't want to because, again, and yes, I did a little bit of digging. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's very easy in today's day and age to go on Rachel's Instagram feed. And at the time, she was doing a lot of publicity for her books. And she does have a public profile that she's created. She has a public profile, which, again— 
I looked at those things of of maybe something that could inspire a jumping off point. But then I really started to just let it go. And I really based her on a friend of mine <laughs> that really? will remain nameless. <laughs> yes. When I read a Shonda script, it became far more my responsibility to help tell the story Shonda was writing. Of course. It's what's on the page that's guiding you. Exactly. And so right. for me, it was more important that Rachel be the vehicle in which that episode six and seven, where the stakes are like no other, right. where the whole table shifts and you've now conned a relatable regular person. So for me, it was far more all about the stakes of the situation that this girl found herself in rather than me trying to mimic or do impressions of the real Rachel Deloach Williams. And what helped with that so much was actually mm -hmm. shooting in Morocco. Mm. It wasn't until I really got to go there and I saw the hotel and the amount of money and started to feel more real to you. Yeah, and the actors were saying to me, we're going to call the cops, where I was like, holy shit. Right. That's a real panic. She's afraid, man. Like, it says that she's crying in every scene, but she's absolutely terrified. I mean, you hear those stories as a girl of being locked up abroad. I mean, isn't that like a reality show or whatever? Like, <laughs> that shit yes. is scary as hell. It like, is. You know, and then for a girl who makes $31,000 a year at her dream job at Vanity Fair right, to be in debt up to $65,000 for months and months and months at a time where your apartment is going to be threatened, your job, and also the embarrassment. <laughs> Okay, keep a firm grip on your credit cards. We'll be right back. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. 
Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Inventing Anna, the official podcast. What do you think initially attracted Rachel to Anna outside of the access that she could provide? Like you talked about your own experiences getting through the back door of clubs and getting a nice table at the restaurant. Was there more to it than that? Because it seems like she's a good friend and they actually cared about each other. I think it was a lot of things. I I have this line where Rachel's on the stand and she says she was interesting. Her feed was interesting to me. Yes. What was interesting about her or her social media feeds? Photos of art travel, the editor-in-chief, I guess, at Purple Magazine. So similar careers attracted you, both working in fashion magazines. Anna maybe had a leg up, but... Yes. The ADF was going to be like an artful Soho house with like amazing stuff on the walls and things. And Rachel loves art. She loves photography. It's why she worked at Vanity Fair. Julia Garner and I always talked about this. If she had gotten the loan for ADF... Her right hand would have been Rachel. Oh, really? That's interesting. Rachel would have been running. I have goosebumps right now. That's how I know it's true. In an (laughs) alternate reality, because Anna was the dreamer and the sort of like lofty big ideas and making these big asks happen. But I think Rachel's a workhorse. Mm -hmm. It was like Steve Jobs to Wozniak. Yeah. She's like your go-to gal. Like I think she would have been the person with the clipboard at ADF. And I think that that might have excited her. Like I think that they could have come up together in a way. It's interesting. And it made me think of something. When you move to New York, whatever industry you're trying to break into, there's so much of a veneer of pain dues, right? And you think, I'm a young woman. I don't deserve these jobs. I have to work for 10 years before I can even be considered for that elevated position, right? And what Anna does is she comes in and says, that's all fake. Yeah. I can be considered right now. Exactly. I'm, I'm talented now. I have great ideas now. I don't want to wait. And right. so I think what you're speaking to is Rachel has those same ambitions, but she's kind of tucked into the confines of that, you know, the Condé Nast structure. She's a rule follower. Like Exactly. She exactly. would have slowly built up anything just through like hard work and being like a nice person, you know, and like playing the game correctly. Right. And and really, I, I've known people in those photo editor jobs. That's you have to stay in a gig like that for five years before you get promoted. Minimum. One hundred percent. So it's interesting to think it's more than this, just this party girl sort of accessory <laughs> that she offered her. They really were empowering each other. I think it was both. Yeah, I really do. I think that they would have could have come up together and sort of taken over New York a little bit. Like, I think they could have been a powerful little team, especially with Neff. Good God. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, Neff and Rachel could just get along, but. (laughs) And I do want to talk about Neff, but let's go back to Morocco for a moment, because Mm -hmm. 
it really is where, for me, the series shifts, as you said, into something very scary for Rachel. We see Anna kind of bilking these higher-ups, these rich people along the way, and Nora and her caftans. And yeah, it feels very Robin Hoodie at that point. We don't feel bad for the, those very wealthy people, but right. Rachel's character is when we start to personalize it. So tell me a little bit more about shooting in Morocco. How long were you there? Because it is so stunning that I can't even believe you had access to these places. It's just gorgeous. It was the absolute coolest thing ever because I got to take Adam and my son. Adam's your husband, of course. Yes, Adam's my husband (laughs) and uh, my son, Aldi. And it was the last time we traveled abroad before the pandemic. You know, we landed back in the States in the middle of February. There were just starting to be commercials in Morocco of this thing called coronavirus. So that just seems insane. But it was so helpful for building the character. I mean, so La Mamounia, which is the hotel that real Anna Sorokin and real Rachel Deloach Williams stayed where she was conned, where they stayed in like a $10,000 a night Riyadh. We shot in the Riyadh where this all went down. Wow. And you step into La Mamunia and even the scent, they have a pumped through the walls, candles, incense that is just smells like amazing. You are somewhere other than America rich. <laughs> La Mamunia was gifted to Prince Al Mamun by his father in the 18th century as a wedding present, framed by the Atlas Mountains to the north and the Kutubia Mosque to the east. Our gardens date back to the 12th century. It's one of those places where you get served upon entrance the most delicious almond milk Moroccan tea thing and everyone's wow. in these incredible outfits. I was literally staying in a room where the guest book Previous to my stay was Paul McCartney, Hillary Clinton, Bradley Cooper on the toilet I was using. (laughs) I kept saying that to Adam. Like, we are going to the bathroom with Bradley Cooper or like with Hillary and Bill. I mean, it was insane. And... It just really helped the like, wow, this is where Anna called Rachel and was like, you want to get away for the weekend. It's on me. I would imagine as an actor, too, even though you're obviously incredibly prepared and do all your due diligence, the sensory experience of being smelling the air, feeling the heat, feeling the drapey clothing. And they did a great job. What's so cool about the episode and what's so special about it. It's such a bottle episode in a way, and it's its own world and its own rules. But what's the coolest thing is that it was directed by this incredible director who I'd worked with on Scandal. Her name is Nzinga Stewart. She's incredible. Her husband is Moroccan. She got married in Morocco. Her husband was with us when we shot. And so her eye to me, how she shot the episode where you see the carriages next to your cars and all the carts and the Medina and all of that stuff. I think she captured it so... I mean, when I watched it, I was emotional because, again, I haven't been out of the country since then. And just to see another culture so clearly and vividly, I just think the episode and Netflix didn't spare any expense to make the viewers understand what Marrakesh is like. Because it does help with the story. It's because they're in Morocco and because of all that this all plays out the way it does. Right. It was amazing. We were there for three to four weeks. Wow, that's a long time. 
What did you guys do in your free time if you did have any? Did you go to the gardens that we hear about? The gardens? Well, <laughs> no, I didn't go because I was like, that shit costs like $2,000 a ticket or whatever, which is true. We all learned our lesson about going to those gardens. Yeah, we learned yeah. our lessons about that. Um, on my days off, Lynn Paolo, who was our wardrobe and was the costume designer on Scandal the whole time, did all the clothes for this. And so she was in Morocco with us and just like running around with her. Which rugs should we get? Which amazing hum says, oh, I took a cooking class. Couscous and tagines. And my husband was living his best effing life. All the boys <laughs> were. It was so unfair. This is behind the scenes goss. But like... Mm-hmm. I'm working all day. Julia Garner is working all day. And in Zynga, the director is working all day. But in Zynga's husband, who's Moroccan, is there as sort of like a fun chaperone. Mark Foster, who's Julia Garner's husband, is there. And then my husband, Adam Shapiro, is there. So they're like a trio. Right. And they did ATV rides in the desert. They were like cooking meat underneath like caravans and <laughs> under the sun. Like every day we were getting the girls were like hard at work and the men are just like out living their best lives. So we really, I think, seized the opportunity. (laughs) But it does come through. I think we're so used to seeing locations fudged for other places. But I have to say, it really does feel like you were there because, of course, now we know that you were. So I want to go back to the Morocco trip and the fallout, of course, the credit card fallout in a moment. But I do want to talk. You mentioned Neff, Mm. who's obviously so crucial to this puzzle and to the story at large. And in rewatching the series, in episode five, when Neff is talking to Vivian about Rachel. Yeah. Rachel took and took and took, never paid Anna back. Everything she wore was Anna's. I think she was trying to be Anna. Anna put up with them. I don't even know that she noticed. Well, she liked it. I mean. It's interesting. In, in that moment, I wondered is Rachel a user herself? Or was she just allowing herself to be kind of swept up into this Anna orbit? What do you think? I think it's both. I think we've all done that. I have girlfriends now that when I see them and I love them so much, like, and they wear something, and then the next day it reminds me to wear something that's the same because it looked so good on them. I mean, I do shit like that all the time. We get imprinted with this stuff very early on as young women. Yeah, I I just really think it was both. I really think that Rachel and Neff are both users. I mean, Neff is busy taking $100 bills to finance her film. I want to wear and look like Anna Delvey because I want to be taken seriously. And I mean, I've had really also very, very, very loaded friends before. And money just means a different thing to them. Well, especially in Hollywood, too, when people are at varying stages of success. Yeah, we're like, let me just get that for you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, please don't. And they're like, it, please, it's like nothing for me. And you're like, oh, right. Like, right. We forget. We forget. So right. I think it's both. I think Rachel was swept up. I think Anna Delvey probably insisted and then it just became routine. And then I think, yeah, I think Rachel wanted to be her also. Right. And was open to the generosity. I mean, who would say no to that on $32,000 a I think year? She, Rachel says that on the stand. Her She says yeah. on the stand, like, and did you ever offer to pay? And she says she would never let me. I mean, I believe that when she says that. Like, I don't see it. And I tried really, and I didn't play it as that Rachel just took and took and took and took and took. But when Neff 
says that to Vivian, it made me think, oh, that's an interesting perspective. Of course. Mm -hmm. You could absolutely see it that way, too. That's what's so cool about the show. And what's so classic to the Shondaland sauce is that there's no good, bad, right, wrong. There's a lot of gray. Mm -hmm. You can think someone's good one episode and bad the next. Right. So when she gets home from Morocco and she has that horrible three-month wait (laughs) and the ensuing meltdown takes place, it was very hard to watch those scenes where she's at work. Are you firing me? If an investigation finds that you were in on it, we'll be calling in the police. Wait, I I didn't take any of it. You stayed at the hotel, didn't you? Can't you understand what I've gone through? You helped your friend defraud this company. You're neck deep in this, Rachel. Have you ever felt that kind of professional panic in real life where something was out of your control, but you knew that there was so much on the line for your own future? Yeah, I was audited like two years in a row. That's scary. Oh, my God. It was fucking terrifying. Like I was a, a waiter making no money for a really long time. And I booked one series That got canceled after seven episodes. But those seven episodes, I made more money than I had ever made. And so the government was like, what the F? So you were sort of flagged in a sense. I was flagged and I filed incorrectly with a accountant who doesn't specialize in the entertainment industry because I didn't know that that existed. I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I got audited two years in a row every single time I got stacks in my mailbox of paperwork thicker than you could ever imagine of shit that I had to fill out and prove and say that I wasn't lying and I was going to owe $40,000 back, which I didn't have. Uh, I was hysterical. I mean, could I have moved home with my parents? I think Rachel could have done that too, but oh my God. Right. But here you are in the throes of building your career, wanting to be Exactly. And how embarrassing. So anyway, I just think about that all the time and the feeling of dread I would feel because the IRS went after me. Like, it was really hard. Two years in a row, it was super stressful. And you'd have an okay week where you would feel fine. And then all of a sudden, some shit would come in the mail that would just rip the bottom out from under you and have you in hot sweats, cold sweats, panic attack, keeping you up all night long, figuring out what am I going to do when they say I have to give them $40,000 and I don't have it. And I don't understand what I did wrong and how I could have prevented this when I'm a good person. Look, do you see this? I'm already like sounding just like Rachel. (laughs) But like, that's where she at. She's like, I don't understand. My friend was in big fat trouble. I was going to get arrested. I gave my card. I did what any sensible person would do. And also, have you ever met a con artist? Not that I know of. No. Yeah, me either. And she was up against someone who was good. I I kept reading in my researching, you know, when someone cons you, it starts small. And before you know it, you've been wrapped up. And that's sort of, I feel like, also what happened with Rachel and Anna. But it was like, first, can you just get the tickets? I'm too busy today. And she gets the tickets. And then she's like, oh, shit, I don't have it for the gardens. Can you do the gardens? And then can you just do this dinner? And all of a sudden, it's too late. For months leading up to this, all she has seen is being taken care of financially by this person, $100 bill over $100 bill under at the hotel, living in a hotel. Anyway. It's interesting. We're used to hearing this type of story as it relates to a romantic relationship. 
you know, you've heard of men and women, you know, say, oh, I was conned by this person I thought I was marrying. And I have heard that a bunch before. And I think we just aren't used to seeing it in the context of a friendship. And I think that's what's harder to parse because there isn't sex involved. There isn't romance. You would think, well, why couldn't she just see the light? And and you see how entrenched she was. And it's you just feel so badly for her. <laughs> yeah, she's so entrenched. Well, you know, Julia and I talked a lot about there's the scene in Morocco where I'm packing my stuff and leaving and she's really drunk. Right. We played that as our breakup scene. Oh, interesting. It, it, and that came across, actually. And I really want to celebrate with you, but I'm not feeling well. I think I might have caught, like, whatever Casey had. Casey had food poisoning. If you had what she had, you would have already felt it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe... It actually was a stomach bug. Rachel, don't go. I'm sorry. I have to. Again, I do think the lines are blurred when you're a best friend with someone who's like a new best friend. You're obsessed with them like you are someone who you're romantically involved with. You're thinking about what should I wear in front of them? And like, oh, my God, do I text them that? Like, does that sound (laughs) stupid? Is that funny? Um, Can I wear what they're wearing? We were really lucky. The minute we met, Julia and I really like girlied out from the second (laughs) we met at Table Reads. Like, I want to be just like obsessed with her as my friend because I feel like that'll be really good for Rachel and Anna. Mm-hmm. We were just like really touchy, always holding hands, always like getting really into those Instagram photo shoots, which were used in the show and, you know, kissy, kissy faces and like all that stuff. But having the best time. <laughs> Amidst all the drama, you do seem to be having fun, which is kind of the whole point of all this, right? Yes. OK, everyone, it's about that time. Just a quick message from our sponsors. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow.
Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey there. Thanks for sticking around. So I want to talk about episode seven, the infamous intervention moment. Casey's so careful not wanting to step in this. She's finally seen like, I don't really want to be involved in this. But she feels for Rachel. And she tells Rachel, step into your power, take control, stop being afraid. And it's so hurtful in that scene where Anna essentially diminishes Rachel so intensely saying, you just crave this drama. I'm a boss. I'm trying to build a foundation. And I'm surrounded by a bunch of amateurs. Please. Anna, I am begging. No, I'm doing everything I can. Do you think I have time to waste with this? Your money is coming. Why couldn't you just listen? For me, that was one of the most hurtful scenes in the show. Because in a split second, she diminishes everything that they ever had as friends. How did that scene play to you? And how much hurt did you infuse into that moment? That was one of the first scenes we ever shot. Oh, really? To start there, too, with this arc that has just come before that. I know, but that's TV making. It's so hard. It's really hard at times. You know, that to me is the scene where Rachel catches the whiff that she is a sociopath. She's so cold. So, so cold. Julia does a beautiful job of playing someone who does not feel or understand empathy. I do think... Like, my personal opinions, I I think it could have gone the other way really easily. I think she could have gotten the loan. I think she could have started ADF, and ADF might and may have been extremely Mm. successful. So she was held back by her own personality flaws, I think she was held back by society, really, and maybe personality flaws. But I do think that she's—the performance in that scene is when you see a friend that's crying and you feel nothing. Right. It's where everything from Rachel changes into I'm on a mission. And from that scene is when she goes to her apartment and she starts planning. What are you going to do? To my face while I was crying, she said, I crave drama. Like our friendship meant nothing. Like what she's putting me through meant nothing. If she wants drama, she's going to get it. So walk me from that point to when we see Rachel officially stepping into her power and helping the police and helping to facilitate Anna's capture. Because while we understand Rachel's motivation, because any of us would be livid and so hurt, it's still surprising because of their history. Walk me through your journey in preparing for that. I think she realizes in that intervention scene that she's not dealing with a sympathetic human being 
I think she learns, like she says, like, what would Anna do in this situation? She would be selfish. She would figure out how to get herself out of this mess. And Rachel was in a big, fat mess and really thought about how do I get myself out of this? And uh, I think she does a lot of growing up in the series. And I think she does a lot of growing up from that moment all the way through when you realize she has sold the story herself to three different buyers, when she decides to get up on the stand. All of that is her making a decision and going for what she wants. Well, it's interesting. Anna, while Anna hurt her in immense ways, Anna could be the largest figure in Rachel's life because she taught her this is how the world works, right? You can't stay at a job for 32 grand a year and expect people to be thinking about your next move. You have to constantly be thinking for yourself. So it's that balance of looking out for yourself, but also not being a sociopath along the way, right? I think Rachel was completely, completely formed by this experience, Mm. without a doubt. And for better or worse, I imagine. Both. Mm -hmm. So going to the trial, which is obviously such an incredible piece of this saga, for the jurors... What do you think was the hardest part of their jobs in parsing out what was guilty and what was non not guilty? I know because they let the Rachel, the Rachel case, she was found not guilty. Correct. Which, you know, we could we talk about sort of karma, friendship karma. <laughs> the Anna character probably felt a little bit vindicated in that. For sure. And I think the jury swung the other way. The minute they found out that Rachel had six hundred thousand dollars and was going to be OK, I think if that had never come up they would have found her guilty. I don't want my testimony to be misconstrued or seen as a ploy for my own benefit because it's not. It's not about entertainment. It's about law and order and a crime. For you, it is about entertainment, though, right? This is about a trauma. This is about the judicial system in America warning others. So this is not about entertainment. This is the most traumatic thing that I have ever been through. I understand all that. But this traumatic experience that you went through... You sold to three separate people. What would you have thought if you were on that jury? What would have been the hardest part of your of your job as a juror? I would have been terrified of Anna Delvey. <laughs> <laughs> Despite her trial style and how chic she looked. Yeah, in the room. I would have been terrified. Um, I think it would have been really... I can't even imagine the conversations in that room. Just so complicated. And also the split among gender, age, oh, socioeconomic. All of it. Uh, yes. Right. I mean, it's just that's why the story is so good and people are so excited to see it. It's so complicated. Right. I can remember getting up on the stand and sort of crying. And Matt Byrne, the writer who mm-hmm. wrote that in episode nine, and and he came up to me because he was actually there when it happened. Right. He'd been in the courtroom. He'd been in the courtroom. And he said to me, uh, no, Katie, she's like ugly crying in front of everybody. Rachel was. Yeah. He was like wow. like the kind of crying that you would never show anyone. They had to stop the proceedings. Wow. Because she was so emotional. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, we're going there now. Okay. Those days were just spent the most breakdowns in the history of the planet. My (laughs) eyes just swollen shut. Like, How did it feel to hear that from Matt? Because for so long, you'd probably tried to separate yourself from the real person, from the real events. And here you were sitting almost in the exact sort of scenario, having the same emotional output. That must have been another one of those Moroccan moments where you thought, oh, this really happened to somebody. Yeah, it just changed the 
I mean, it definitely changed the performance, but it also changed for me how she was so desperate and scared all along. And the courtroom is like all of the PTSD and the months and months of not sleeping and the months and months of questioning your own sanity and your own worth and everyone finding this out about you that you'd been conned and having to now put it on display. I mean, it, it was horrible. Horrible. As much as it, she wanted it to be her powerful moment, I really think it ended up being a mess. It wasn't the way she probably would have wanted to end this yeah. whole ordeal. She could not put a bow on it to move on. Even though she had written her piece, she mm -hmm. had a book deal, mm -hmm. the mess was still there. Mm -hmm. And I think at the center of that is the embarrassment of, of having been taken by this person. And Nora speaks to that earlier in the series when Vivian asked her, why didn't you report this? Why didn't you report that Anna stole all these, you know, ran up the credit card? It was humiliating. She took advantage of me and I had no idea. So this idea that someone could be so egregiously manipulated, you really see that as like a through line of trauma among these characters. It's, it's so embarrassing. Yeah. So before we wrap, I did want to give you a shout out for not only making the show during COVID, post-production, all the incredible work that went into the series, but you also had a second child. Can you believe that? <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how you were able to do this. This is so funny. This is why I was thinking about the courtroom scenes in episode nine, because maybe this is TMI, but I don't care. Katie, your whole brand is TMI. Okay, Come great, on. great. Good, 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 good. Well, you're right. The whole week we were in the courtroom was the week of shutdown. So this is like March 9th through 13th. And I was trying to have a baby that same week. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget it because times were scary. You know, like we were losing extras every day to some sort of symptoms and not knowing what COVID was. And all of a sudden people were running around the set, like sanitizing all the doorknobs and the food shifted from being sort of like a buffet style to all individually wrapped. I mean, things that we are now getting used to. But of course. And we shut down March 13th. And I ran mm -hmm. home to L.A. March 13th at 8 a.m. because I was getting these weird texts saying New York's going to shut down. There's not going to be any way in or any way out. And we went back to L.A., and one week later, March 18th, I was like, I think I'm pregnant. Wow. <laughs> Found oh out I was God. pregnant. And right after telling my husband, I called Shonda because I thought we were going back to work in, like, two weeks. And I said, right. um, I'm pregnant. I'm terrified. To which she was the best friend a girl could ask for and was like, I'm already talking to medical staff. You're going to be fine. Aww. After she said congratulations and flipped out of for course, me. Of course, certainly. so excited and supportive. <laughs> but she was very, very caring in to make sure that she really thought I was going to be okay. And she was right. I was. Thank God. But also, I spent my whole pregnancy basically quarantined up with the show not going back. And then the show went back. In the September after shutdown, and I was due with my baby in November. And this is why Shondaland's Shondaland and why she's the best. But she was like, we're just going to take all of your leftover Rachel scenes, which was a lot. I thought it wasn't. It was it was all of five. Everything that's the friends and the parties and the wow. I had to do all of episode five and then some other little things here and there. Five, six days of work, which is not a little. She said, I'm going to put them all at the last five or six days of the entire shoot. That's amazing. I had my baby, had a four-month maternity leave, mm -hmm. 
I was so freaking taken care of. But I also was kind of concerned because I was like, shit, we're going to cut this all together. And I've worked so hard on this part. And I literally am like 20 pounds different. And not that I give a shit about being 20 pounds different. Well, but also just for consistency. More for the consistency, more for the character. I just never wanted my work that the audience would be more concerned like, wow, she looks nothing like the scene that we just saw because they were going to be strung together. And I was like, shit, it's not like one episode I shot pre-pregnancy and one post-pregnancy. It's like I'm literally doing scenes back to back where I am different. Thank God it was Lynn Paolo because she had been through my first pregnancy before on Scandal. She knows my body better than I do. And I have to say just the the power of women helping women in those situations. I have goosebumps about it. Not that men aren't helpful, but just the fact that there's a shorthand there, right? It was really, really, really magical. And I'm so relieved, honestly, watching it back. Like, I look fucking great. I was thrilled. <laughs> I mean, there was only one scene out of all the scenes where I was like, whoa, them be some breastfeeding boobs. <laughs> the rest of it, I was like, shit, I can't really tell. It's why you're so happy when she calls and you're like, I'll play anything. I mean, not only because creatively you know it's going to be amazing, but you're just so respected as a person. Well, there's a lot to like in the show, and I want to congratulate you on your amazing work. Oh, thanks, Stacey. And really, every person we're speaking to for this podcast, it's just a miracle to get anything made, especially the last two years, and the show really is an accomplishment. So be very proud. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And come back next week for the final episode of our series with Anna's real-life attorney, Todd Spodick. If you are the type of woman that is coming to my office on a Saturday and you want me to believe you're a German heiress, I like that. You're kind of crazy, and I like crazy. We'll also discuss how Anna's trial was adapted for television with writer Matt Byrne. My first impressions were that Todd was completely, like, incompetent, to be frank. Really? Okay. I just didn't know this character well enough. It just felt completely insane to me. If you're enjoying this show, please subscribe, share with your friends, rate, or leave us a review. All of that good stuff. And if you haven't finished Shondaland's Inventing Anna on Netflix, please go do that. We really don't want to spoil it for you. Inventing Anna, the official podcast, is executive produced by Sandy Bailey, Lauren Homan, Tyler Klang, and Gabrielle Collins. Our producer and editor is Nicholas Harder, and the show is produced and hosted by me, Stacey Wilson-Hunt. Inventing Anna, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, Visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.